Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Unstoppable. And today I sit down with the very beautiful Melissa Ambrosini. Melissa is the best-selling author of the incredible book Mastering Your Mean Girl and is the host of the number one podcast, The Melissa Ambrosini Show. She's also a motivational speaker, a self-love teacher, and she was named a self-help guru by Elle Magazine. And she has spoken at numerous high-profile events, including Wanderlust, Festival, Google, and the Wellness Festival, as well as Business Chicks. And today... She takes me through her incredible journey of how she got to where she is and her hot tips on self-love. Stay tuned for this one. Ladies and gentlemen, Melissa Ambrosini. Ambrosini. Did I get that right? Kind of. Ambrosini. Yeah, with an Honestly, Italian flair. I know. You You do have a bit of an Italian flair. I do. I'm half Italian. That would, why, that would be mm-hmm. where that flair comes from. Mm-hmm. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So for those people who live under a rock who don't know who you are... Give us a little bit of the backstory on Melissa Ambrosini. Oh, God. Okay. So where do I start? Start at the beginning. I am an author and a speaker like yourself and a podcaster, but I haven't always done this. Yeah, right. I actually, before I had my rock bottom moment, which was in 2010, I was a professional dancer. No kidding. So I danced at the Moulin Rouge in Paris. I did acting. Where's Jess? Like one of our filmmakers actually- Da- I know. Dance at the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah. In, do you know Jess? I know Jess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she actually emailed me and was like, I just heard that you're coming in. This is last week. Stop I heard you're coming it. in. And I was like, oh my gosh, small world. Yeah, right. So she arrived at the Moulin just after I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, small world. So yeah, she's um, a beautiful girl. And um, so as well as dancing, I did acting and TV presenting. Yep. And I started dancing when I was three and I just loved performing. I loved being on stage. That was my happy place. Um, But in 2010, I ended up in hospital very unwell and very unhappy because I had burnt the candle at both ends and was living my life very externally. You know, my measure of happiness was in the jobs that I was getting, the boyfriends I was dating the nice handbags, the shoes, all of these external validations of what I thought happiness was. Um, And I ended up in hospital with a whole host of health issues, which I won't even bore you with, but my whole immune system shut down and I had depression and anxiety um, and I was dealing with panic attacks. And for about three years prior to ending up in hospital, I was in and out of emergency just with severe anxiety and panic attacks. Wow, Um, like debilitating. Debilitating, where I I thought I was dying. And for those that have dealt with panic attacks and anxiety, you do feel like you're You're dying. dying. Your, your, Your throat feels like it's closing over. And that's what I thought. I thought I was having allergic reactions. Every time, like I thought my, I've eaten something and my throat's closing over and I can't breathe and I'd be like <gasps> gasping for air. And the doctors were like, nothing's wrong with you. Here's an antibiotic, an antiviral, an antidepressant, um, sleeping tablets. Very anti. They're very anti. Yeah, aren't they? And they just would give me all of these drugs to suppress what was really going on. And anyway, in 2010, uh, there was no more candle left to burn and I ended up in hospital and this was the darkest and hardest point of my entire life. But there was this little glimmer of hope. It was almost like I could exhale for the first time and something told me, and I didn't know what this was back then, 
um, but it was my intuition. And it said to me, if you get yourself healthy and happy again, you will live an extraordinary life. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that feeling was that was bubbling inside of me. I'd never even heard of your intuition. And someone gave me a book that changed my life. It was a spiritual text and it was called You Can Heal Your Life. Oh, Louise Hayes. Louise Hayes. She is amazing. May she rest in peace. I know. She is a beautiful, beautiful woman. And someone gave me that when I was in hospital and I was reading it in the hospital bed because I had nothing else to do. My mum and dad were there. At that time, I had just been dumped and cheated on. I was living on a friend's fold-out bed in her house. I had no job. I was unwell. My life was a mess, right? Hot mess. A hot mess. <laughs> and I just moved back from overseas, which yeah, I right. didn't I didn't want to come home. I you know I really my visa expired over there and I really didn't want to come As back a dancer? to Australia. Is this in Paris? Yeah, and an actress and yeah, right. okay. everything I was doing over there. Um and I really didn't want to come back to Australia. And um got back here in the hospital bed, reading Louise Hayes' book, You Can Heal Your Life. And I was literally like turning the pages and I would turn to my mom and I'm like, mom, why haven't you told me this? Like, why didn't you tell me that we create our own reality and that we are the masters of our destiny and like we can choose love instead of fear and struggling? And mom's like- Well, I didn't fucking know Yeah, she's like- I had no idea. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> yeah, right. And bless her, she was, you know, she did. Our parents are always, we're all doing the best that we can given the knowledge and the understanding that we have in that moment. And this was the catalyst that I needed to get me on my true path, which is doing the work that I do now, being a teacher, being a speaker, an author, and helping women unlock their full potential and live their best life. That is my mission. That is why I'm here on this earth. Yeah, right. And I believe that I needed that wake-up call to kind of get me on this path. Yeah, right. Otherwise, I'd probably still be dating Losers. Losers and a struggling actress living on my friend's couch <laughs> and trashing my body and drinking and partying. So you had this moment, this awakening, and and the Buddha says it grace, the greater the Buddha says it best, the greater the pain, the greater the awakening. But at what point did you or how did you kind of tune into, okay, well, I've got to do, I've got to become healthy, but at what point did you tune into the purpose of why you're here? Because, you know, one of the things that I've discovered with most business owners that I work with is a lot of them have this this sense of almost like they feel lost. You know, they're kind of moving through life. They think they want to make money, but oftentimes if they don't make money, they don't get the opportunity to see that's not what they want. But then when they do make money, they realize, well, that's not it either. How did you kind of become aligned with not only, okay, I need to get healthy, that happened with the event, but at what point did you start to go, well, what am I going to do? Mm. So it kind of happened quite soon after I got out of hospital because I knew that the lowest hanging fruit was I needed to get healthy again. Yeah, right. That was the lowest hanging fruit for me. I was like, okay, I've got to sort my health out because that was, if I don't have, if you don't have your health, you, you can't do what you want to do. So I knew that I needed to sort my health out. So I went on and studied holistic nutrition and I became a certified holistic health coach. Um, and I began sharing what I was learning about loving and accepting your body and nourishing your temple and really looking after yourself. But I soon realized um, after coaching people one-on-one, -on -one, and back then, this was in 2011, I started this thing called a blog. 
Oh my god! Did, did yeah. people even know how to spell that back no, then? No, they yeah. didn't. This was like progressive. Yeah, right. You know, this is like totally progressive. So, um, I started my blog and I began sharing what I was learning just through my writing, and um, all around health, nutrition, all around health and yeah. wellness. And then I realized that it's not just about what you put in your mouth. Yeah, it's more about the thoughts that are going on mm. upstairs. And so from there, I went on and studied life coaching and meditation. And what styles of meditation did you study? I went on and did Vedic. Vedic, yeah, yes. right. Did you study with Gary Goro by any chance? Oh, he's amazing. He's an incredible teacher. He's my teacher, yeah. Yeah, he is beautiful. So he's a good friend of mine, but he didn't first teach me. Okay. Um, but I'm actually going to in May, I'm going to be becoming a certified Vedic teacher. Yeah, right. Congratulations. Because I love it so much because it's changed my life. Changes everything. Have you done Vipassana by any chance? I haven't, but it's something that I have been thinking about for a really long time and something that I do want to do. Um, So it's it's on the cards. It's almost like boot camp for meditation, like for real. I've done it seven times. Seven times. Uh, Like we know our friend uh, Zogi, right? He like did it. He went to do it. He did like lasted. Three days, he's like, yep, I got what I need, I'm out. And I was like, no, man, you got to like do the whole – because it, it is the only it, – it is the most – like I don't even, wouldn't even call it gentle. It is literally full contact meditation where you literally beat yourself up for a good, you know, good 10, 11 days. Awesome. Yeah, and but I honestly can't recommend – I know I'm selling it really well right now, but I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I imagine the growth – Oh, it's incredible. Huge. Incredible. But it's yeah. a lot, it's very different to Vedic. Mm. Uh, like Vedic is is a little bit more relaxed. It's uh, what they call the domestic meditation. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, for, the, for the homeowner. Whereas the, the Vipassana was more for the monks, you know, for the, the hardcore, like devote your life. And you can really feel it. And that's why for me, as soon as I found Vedic, and that's why I was curious as to the style you, that you use, it was like, oh my God, it doesn't have to be as hard. Because hour in the morning, hour in the evening with Vipassana. That's, again, difficult. 22 minutes morning, 22 minutes evening. Anyone can do that. Yeah. And do you still do it? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Every day. Like, and I will, day. But I do a Vedic. But like this morning I did an hour Vedic. So I'm wow. not doing – I don't typically stick to my 2020s. Yep. Like I'm normally doing anywhere between 45 to an hour and a half, sometimes a couple of hours in the morning because I wake up like 4, 4.30. Um, and then I always do meditate my son to bed. So when I put him in bed, he'll I'll sit on his bed and I'll normally meditate for another you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes while he goes off to bed. So beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's changed my life. Okay. Which, and that's something that I'm morning and night every day. It's, it's, Can't recommend it enough. Oh, my gosh. Life-changing brain. The, the physiological changes that happen within an individual when they meditate, it's just it's incredible. And people say to me, how do you get everything that you do done? You know, you I own two businesses. I'm a stepmom, a wife, a friend, you know. So many hats. So many hats. Like we all do. We all have so many hats. Um, And I honestly think that the way that I get so much done is through my meditation. Yeah. Because it makes you so disciplined and focused and present and it's just changed my life. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So you found meditation, then what happened? Yeah, so... I learned how to meditate. I actually then went on. I can imagine for you, sorry, me and my fucking going back to meditation, where you were, your constitution, that would have been life-changing for you. Oh, my gosh. Because you sound like you were like literally a spring that was wound up just about to snap. Yep. I think I did snap. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Actually. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I had my wake-up call very early. Some people don't get it. Some people never get it. Some people never get it. Yeah. Exactly. And and if they do, it's maybe 40 or 50. I'm so glad mine was at 24. I'm really, really grateful, even though it was so freaking hard and I don't wish the physical and mental pain that I went through on anyone. 
I'm going to stop you there. Why? Because you know the benefit that came from it. Because I, I don't know if you watch our vlog, but we had a, a scenario. I think it was K Day Seven. The, 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 it's quite uh, it's quite notorious where we had a similar situation a situation where we had a team member who was under enormous amounts of pressure. They were self pressure, just putting himself under enormous amount of pressure to perform. And I had two team members come in here and try and rescue. Her. And they go, "Oh, Kerwin, you know, we, she, she's pushing herself. She's going to burn out." I was like, "Okay, let's hold on." And then one of my team members said, look, I just don't want her to have to go through the pain that I went through in order to, you know, become a high performer. And I was like, well, hang on a second. Mm. Why would you not want someone to go through that level? Let me ask you a question. I said, I said, are you happy with who you are and your level of performance now as a result of what you've been through? She said, yeah. I said, so why would you rob someone of that? Mm. So I'm curious as to why you'd use that as a throwaway line. Like, is that a throwaway line or do you would legitimately go, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, knowing full well that the, that pain, that that I guess in some respects trauma is what re was required in order to wake you up? Well, that's a really freaking good question and thank you for asking it because no one's ever asked that to me and it's made me really reflect um, because, yes, I do wish everyone have that awakening but you can have that awakening by reading one of my books. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can have that awakening by listening to your podcast. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be as dramatic and as painful. a lot painful. of people don't fucking listen and that's the only thing they hear is something big mm. and this is what i said i said i don't wish uh, an absence of pain on anybody i yeah. wish an i wish an enormous i think everyone should go through pain because it's defining it's character building but what i do wish upon people is the abundance of skills to be able to regulate the emotions and the stress and the chemicals that come up to be able to balance what they go through in order to come out the other side as a more whole human being yeah it's it's you're so right it's such um, a really good point that you've made up because a uh, brought up because I did make it up. That's how it got there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it. You're right. Not many people. Not everyone is going to get this wake up call, and yeah. if they do, it might be later in life. However, they get there. It's their journey. Do you subscribe to Feathers, Bricks, and Trucks? What is that? Oh, you're gonna love this. So. It's it it's a revolves around the awakening. So sometimes yeah. we get that little tickle. Oh yes, 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 like, yes, oh, yes. Oh, it's fucking annoying. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe What's I should, that? maybe I shouldn't. Oh, maybe I should. I've always wanted. To. And then it's like all of a sudden something conks us in the head. Like, ow, that kind of hurt. Well, maybe I should think about this. And then you ignore it. And then a fucking Mack truck comes and and mows you down. You're like put in hospital. Totally. Like, okay, I need to listen to this. Yeah, I had feathers for about three years, and yeah, then right. and bricks in yeah. that time. And in and out of emergency, yeah. and I just didn't listen. The, I say the universe is like tapping tap, you on tap, the shoulder. Tap, tap, it's like, tap. hello, or, or Joseph Campbell says the phone's ringing, you know? <laughs> and it's like, when are you going to pick up the freaking phone and answer yeah. the call? Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be as dramatic. It doesn't have to be a diagnosis. It doesn't have to get to that point with people in order to have that awakening. You know, you can have that on your yoga mat. Yeah. You know, we can have it how, however it looks. But I'm just so glad mine happened at 24 because it put me on my true path, why I'm here. I know this is what I'm here to do. And I believe that all of the performing and the acting and the TV presenting gave me the skills to be a speaker. Yeah. Like I can stand on stage in front of 5,000 people and deliver a talk. And I believe that that was all dress rehearsal mm -hmm. for what it is that I'm meant to be doing here on earth. And after I went and studied um, life coaching and the health coaching, um, meditation, I did my yoga teacher training as well because I wanted to really understand You're that. You're like a bloody ninja. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I just wanted to understand more. I did yeah. that for myself. I, get it. I you totally know? get it. I didn't want to become a yoga teacher. I just wanted that for myself. Totally get it. Um, and I also went and studied acuenergetics, which is energy healing work, mm. like through your hands, like yeah. what we were talking about before we started recording. Yeah, right. Um, and I read every personal development and spiritual text I could get my hands on. I attended every workshop and seminar. I was a seminar junkie. I just devoured all of this personal development and spiritual knowledge that was out there, that is out there, because I started to feel better. I started to feel good in my own skin, which was something I'd never experienced before. I started to feel inner peace and contentment. Didn't know what that was. Mm. I had so much anxiety and like I hated being in my own skin. I hated it. And I kept on running and the next boyfriend or the next paycheck or the next car or the next um, gig, you know, never fulfilled me. It was always what's next, what's next. And I followed all of these, you know, teachers and mentors because – I started to feel good. And that was when I realized that this is my purpose. Did you find as you were doing this, you were re-articulating, like you were learning all this information and then you were re, re-articulating what you were learning on your blog. And then you started to go, well, hang on a second. I'm really loving this. And hang on, actually, people really kind of like this as well. Yeah. Was that was that how the, the, the purpose train came to town? Or? Yeah, I, I guess like I started sharing on my blog what I was, I was having these big realizations and these big awakenings and I would just translate it into my own language mm. and share it in my, in my blog. And I created online programs and products and meditations and I started being flown all around the world as a speaker and being told I was an inspirational, motivational speaker. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how did this even happen? Like, I didn't plan this. Like, this wasn't something I sat down and was like, I want to do this. It just unfolded. Then I get a book deal for Mastering Your Mean Girl. And that's another thing, like the term inner mean girl or your inner bad boy. It's a term I gave for your ego. And some people call it your shadow self, your ego, your um, darker self, whatever. Um, you can call it Bob, Fred, Mary, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and so many people were just saying to me, like coming up to me in the street, say, like saying, oh, my God, this article that you wrote changed my life. Or my mean girl was gonna was telling me not to come up and say hello to you, but I just wanted to say, come up and say hello and thank you for your book or thank you for this, this talk or this podcast that you did. It's really changed my life. And so I've kind of created this lexicon around uh, personal development for women of, mm. of my generation and it's the best fun ever. You look like you're having a ball. I can only assume with your background, dancing, acting, everything else, you must have, you must have had a pretty healthy ego. Very. Okay. So toxic? Very. Okay. And through your awakening, you kind of resolved a lot of toxicity. You started to develop a different type of relationship with your ego, I'm going to assume. Yes. I learned to master her. You mastered. Did you learn to master her or learn well, to build a better relationship? Because well, mastery is one of those words. It's kind of, I'm curious what you mean by you, you learned to master her. Well, I'm still learning. Okay. Still learning to master her. Like you want to master the piano. Yeah. you got to practice every day. Mm. So I'm mastering my inner mingo every day. Every day. It's and a, it's a it's a task, you know. And and It's almost like a muscle. It's a muscle. Because if you, if you neglect it, yep. like even for a week, you know, or if you stop taking the wrong supplements, like I, I don't know if you know about my coffee experiment. I st- poor Timmy. I, I had a coffee experiment and yeah. f- f- totally fucked up, like brought out ego. 
Like I couldn't, like I hadn't drunk coffee in 10 years, started drinking coffee and it like literally started to bring my ego out. But what I'm curious to know, wow. I don't want to hijack this. I want this to make this about you. Like when you, you know, you came out, you had your experience, you had your awakening, you started to master your inner, inner mean girl. But one of the things that I've found when people take this path, you know, they start to learn, they start to share information in a different context that is more purpose-driven. It's almost like on some levels, it gives the opportunity to birth a new type of ego. You know, I call it the spiritual ego because you've, you've probably met that person that they're more spiritual than everybody. Like I'm so yes. much more spiritual than you. Like <laughs> seriously, I am almost enlightened. I'm curious to know from you, like what you learned about, you know, mastering your inner mean girl. Because what I've learned about the ego is the ego can be mean, but it can also morph mm. and become incredibly intelligent as we grow and as we develop, especially if we're on some kind of a, you know, spiritual path. And it can often take different shapes and functions to convince us that it's not as bad as what it was, even though it still has a similar agenda. Have you experienced anything like that? Well, I'm definitely not enlightened and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I am, but... Well, hang on. I can see a halo. So, <laughs> actually, you do have a big aura, by the way. Oh, thank you. But, you know, no one is enlightened. If we were enlightened, we would have levitated we'd, out we'd of fear by now. Yeah. But we're still here, which means we've still got more to learn and grow. But women have between sixty and 80,000 thoughts a day. Men have around 40, right? They usually share at least half of them, don't they? Yeah, oh, I reckon we share all of them. <laughs> My husband will tell you that we share all of them. Um, but that is potentially sixty to eighty thousand egoic interactions. Yeah, egoic. You're not good enough, or or any sort of those. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? You're never going to get out of debt. All of those fear-based, limiting, egoic thoughts that we have, and. Over the years, over the past like seven years, I've just learned how to master them, right? And I'm still learning. I'm still working on it every single day. So where I might have had sixty to 80,000 in a mean girl thoughts, I've got, you know, not as many anymore. And it's a muscle. Like you said, it's something that you have to practice every single day. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it, the stronger that muscle becomes. And it's something that I'm so deeply committed to. Um, but to answer your question, does it morph? I mean, I guess it can, but I'm not in, I'm not interested in that. Like I'm not interested in spiritual ego. Like I really just want to help people. I really want to help people because suffering is not why we're here. God, the universe, Buddha, whatever you believe in, didn't put you here on earth to suffer. It didn't. And I know some people really think that that's the case and that like pulls on my heartstrings because mm. I see, I can see people suffering. It's, it's hard. I think it was Buddha who said like life is pain, suffering is optional. Yeah. Um, but what I am curious to know is like what are some of the, because I, I, one of the things that I've seen with people you know, in different journeys, whether it's a spiritual journey, whether it's a health journey, whether it's a business journey. You know, I've seen some really humble people that have been humbled by life, by been humbled by experience, like take a different transition in a different area. But as they start to grow and build, they, they reform their ego in different ways. But what I'm curious to know, regardless of whether it reforms or not, like what are some of the you know, things that the listener could use to help identify whether or not they've got an inner mean girl or even an inner mean boy. Like how do you identify when the ego is in play? Because the ego, just to create context, I think is can be useful, but for the most part it can be very destructive. Totally. Especially when building a relationship or when working with your body or when working in a business or building a business or even in a job. A lot of the times it is destructive. 
a lot of the times. Um, It is that fear-based limiting negative voice that says, you can't launch that business. You can't write a book. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough, smart enough. You'll never meet the guy. You'll never get out of debt. You know, that voice. And we can all relate to it, whether it's for our health, our business or our relationships. And it doesn't have to run your life. But a lot of people let that voice in the driver's seat. But what you need to let in the driver's seat is your heart. Like this is my mission in this world is to get people out of their head and back into their heart space because that is where the magic happens, living from your heart, you know, looking after your body because you want to, not because you think you should, you know, and and having relationships because you want to, not because you think you should be with that person or because you've got kids so you may as well stay with them and doing something in your business or in the world because you just want to because you're bursting to do it, not because, oh, you need to make ends meet or you got to go to this job because your dad told you you have to. Like these are all fear-based, egoic decisions, but that doesn't have to be the place that we live from. We can live from our heart space and and that's that's my mission just to like inspire people to do that. So how do you know the difference between when you're listening to your heart or when you're listening to your ego? So different. I mean – One makes you expand and one makes you contract. Like one is expansive. You feel expansive and we all know how to feel because we all feel. One makes you feel expansive, feels light. The other one makes you feel contractive. Your shoulders come forward. You might feel tight, heavy. Um, You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you tune into how you're feeling, whether it is a health decision, a business decision or a relationship decision, come back to how you feel in your body. Mm. So important. And so when it comes to business, because you've grown you've grown yourself a nice little empire now. You've got yourself your two businesses. But I'm curious to know how this applies in a business context. Like how would you apply all of your experience, all of your soul, all of your heart, the mastery that you've that you've attained when it comes to working with the mean girl in a commercial way? My entire business and life is built on my intuition. So I don't do anything that isn't an absolute hell yeah. So that is my mantra. If it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. Can I tweak that? Yeah. If it's not a hell yeah, it's a fuck no. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. Well, you don't have to, but anyway, that we, yeah. Because you've read the, have you read the book? Um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. No, yep. there's also the other book. Uh, what was it called? We had the guy in. Not the one. Yeah, was it the one thing? The one thing. The one thing. No, about if it's not a hell yes, it's a fuck no. Uh, Greg McQuown, what he wrote, he wrote, um, Greg McQuown, what was his book? We had him come and speak at one of our events and he he added on it because he had in his book, which is similar to The One Thing. Have you read The One Thing? I've read it. Brilliant yeah. book. Amazing. Absolutely brilliant book. Yeah, the importance of sing- the, a singularity mindset when it comes to execution. Gary McQuown, McQuown. Greg, Greg Essentialism, that's it. Mm. You the, have you read Essentialism? No, I haven't. Very similar vein to um, the one thing. But yeah, he talks about if it's not a hell yes, it's a fuck no. Yeah. And um, I think that I think anyone can use that. Totally. That's how I run my business. I have done things in my business at the start of my business because they were a good business decision. Mm. And it doesn't feel good. Like it doesn't feel good. And it doesn't, didn't end up working out anyway because it was built on fear. It wasn't built from that place of 
love and truth and authenticity. And that's really important to me. So my entire business is built on my intuition and my life. You know, any speaking opportunity that comes my way, it's like, is this a hell yeah? If it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. I say no, thank you. <laughs> You're so polite. Like you are the sweetest little angel. How, how like, for, I guess for someone who's transitioning from that controlled mindset where, you know, they have to think everything through and analyze everything, how, how do you switch over from, you know, a structured way of thinking and decision-making processes to, well, I'm just going to throw all the structure to the wind and I'm just going to, I'm just going to feel good because, but what if I'm feeling good, but what I'm feeling isn't actually feeling good. I'm feeling an emotion. How do you distinguish between what feels right and what I'm just feeling at the time. I mean, this isn't about like not feeling the anger or resentment or any other feeling. This isn't about feeling like rainbows and butterflies all the time. Peace, peace, love and mung beans. Peace, love and mung beans. And I'm not saying like that's how I live. Like I I do, I experience grief. Yeah. I experience anger, resentment. I'm not enlightened, like I said. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. What I mean is because I know for some people when we, because we do, we talk a lot about intuition. Like intuition is a huge part of my game. Um, but I think the challenge that some people have when they start crossing over from the game of structured decision-making to the intuitive game is sometimes they think they're feeling intuition, but what they're feeling is an emotion. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Yes, 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 yes. So So they've kind of almost got to be the observer. And it's almost like learning how to neutralize and regulate emotions Mm -hmm. so that we are and again, this is where a lot of people misunderstand what I say. It's not about being absent emotion. It's about being conscious when they're in play. Totally. Yeah. So like what I do is like when I'm feeling an emotion yep. and I'm really heated and, and and off air, we were talking about, you know, I'm a step parent and, yep. and my stepson, my 12-year-old stepson is, is my biggest guru, my biggest teacher, my biggest mentor. And so like when I am observing an emotion come up within me, that what we have to learn how to do is be the observer and not the reactor. So if there's anger or if there's uncertainty about a business decision or something bubbling away inside you, it's like this feels uncomfortable or maybe this doesn't feel right. Be the observer of that. Like, okay, I'm feeling this um, and maybe that's because of this, but I don't have to buy into that. And that's where a lot of people fall short, especially when they're transitioning to flexing their intuition muscle because Mm. the intuition is like mastering your inner critic. You know, you've got to practice it every day. The more you use your intuition and you live from your intuition, both in your business and in your life, it gets strengthened with use and it will become so strong that you're just like, no, I know that's not right because I just know because I've strengthened that muscle so much and you get better and better at saying, no, thank you or as you would say, fuck no. <laughs> oh my God, she said it. I swore. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can this sweet little thing say words like that? Kiss your mother with that mouth. <laughs> so, okay. So do you have a practice? Like, is there something practical? Because like, I love rooting things in practicality. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges that I have when it comes to teaching people certain concepts that are of a, of a conscious nature is giving people practical steps in order to do this. So do you have any any practical steps that you could say, oh, look, if you were going to, if you were going to learn how to master your inner critic, master the mean girl, like learn how to trust more of this intuition, here are the steps that I'd follow. Yes, I have a three-step process. I love it. Nice and simple. Three steps. We're not going to complicate it, okay? Yeah. It's just really simple. So Talk to me like I'm four okay. and a quarter. Right, four and a quarter. Yeah. It's, the quarters are really important when you're For four. For Noah, like he's yeah. like, how old is he? He's like four and a quarter. And he's like, oh, so you're four. No, four and a quarter. Like yeah. That quarter is important to it's me. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's huge. So, okay, if a limiting fear-based thought comes up, 
okay, or an inner critic, inner mean girl, inner bad boy thought comes up. Say it's like you can't write a book or whatever it is. The first step is you have to become aware of it because what most people do is they believe that thought to be true. They believe that thought is the truth and it's actually not. It's just your ego. So we have to become aware of it. The second step is we close the door on that thought. So instead of opening that door, letting that stinky thought come in, hang out, take over your house, sleep in your bed, wear your clothes, which is what most people do and they let that limiting fear-based belief hang around for years, decades, sometimes lifetimes – Um, we want to close the door on that. It's like an annoying salesperson. Like if an annoying salesperson comes knocking on your front door, you wouldn't be like, yeah, come in and give me a 45-minute spiel. You're like, no, I don't have time. I'm on my mission. I'm living my true life. I don't have time for you to give me a spiel on Tupperware. Telemarketer. Like telemarketer. I think anyone can relate to the telemarketer. Yeah. Totally. So the first step, awareness. Second step, close the door. Do not let the thought in. And the third step is you slide back down into your heart and you choose love instead. So that is it. We only have two choices in every situation, love or fear. Every choice from what you choose to eat. Are you eating it out of love or are you eating it out of fear? You know, from the people that you surround yourself with, are you hanging out with them because you love, you just love to? Or because you think you should because you've been friends with them since you were four and your mum's told you that you've got to hang out with them and they're business acquaintances and you've kind of got to or your kids are friends. And then same with business. Are you doing it because you just want to, you want to help people and you want to serve or it's a good business decision? So everything in life comes down to am I doing it from love or am I doing it from fear? And I know us women especially, and I can only speak from my perspective, is sometimes we feel like we have 50,000 choices but you only ever have two. Mm. And so if you take yourself through that three-step process, awareness, close the door, choose love instead, and you do that, Every single time that your inner critic tries to plant that limiting fear-based seed of doubt in your mind, you're well on your way to mastering, practicing, mastering. And like learning the piano, you've got to practice every day. You can't just wake up one day and you're like, yeah, I've mastered it. I'm enlightened. See you later. doesn't happen like that. Check. (laughs) So um, you've just written a new book, haven't you? Yes. What is it? It is called Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. Now, I've got to ask, uh, love it, soulful sex, because I know this is going to be the thing that really gets people to buy the book. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing you a favor here. (laughs) What is soulful sex? Okay. So it comes back down to doing something from a place of love. Mm. and. But most people love sex. Like how do we make it soulful? It's intention your intent behind it. You know, are you going into the bedroom to get your rocks off or are you going in there to have a beautiful heart open experience with someone else? That's such a good statement because most people literally treat sex as if it's a race to the finish. Totally. Who's going to finish first? Totally. Timmy, I'm looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Whereas, um, have you studied or done any form of Tantra? Tantra, Taoism, Kundalini, I've studied all of that. Beautiful. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things I love, and is this what you allude to in in your book? Yeah, I talk a lot about those practices. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Do you give actual step-by-step instructions, how to follow, how to practice? Yep, I do. And that's the beautiful thing. And I think a lot of people, especially men, don't realize that sex can actually be more than a race. Totally. It can actually be, like you say, like a heart-opening, soul-opening experience. But, you know, to appeal to the egoic materialistic nature that some people have, either masculine or feminine, but it also means the extension of that incredible feeling, not only deepening that feeling, but over extended periods of time. Totally, totally. And I wanted to write this book because I didn't know a lot of this information in this book until I studied Tantra and Taoism and kundalini and really dove deep into those practices because for me I had had you know for most of my life what I call junk food sex quick easy fast whatever you know no I like that no I don't like that but I like that quim yeah Yeah. (laughs) no heart-to-heart connection now for me making love with my husband is a conscious heart-opening expansive experience with God love oneness it's a meditation for me and for him too. And I didn't know that that could be. I didn't, no one taught me that. I mean, most of us learn by watching porn or, um, you know, TV. I, I thought you were going to say our parents then. I was like, no, God, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Um, so for, for those people who want to get your book, where can they get your book? They can get it at melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide. Yeah. And it's in all bookstores and all over the world. Another thing I wanted to mention as well is although it is directed more at women, so many men have read this and sent, said to me, they've sent me emails or messages on social media. Thank you so much because it has allowed them to deepen their understanding of the feminine. Oh, my God. And I can't emphasize like happy, happy wife, happy life. Totally. But uh, and because Napoleon Hill talks about this, like one of the most important decisions you'll ever make is the decision about what woman you will take as a wife. Totally. And But I think sometimes with men, they don't understand the responsibility that's involved in taking care of a good woman and like understanding the feminine, understanding the energy, understanding the, the aspects that come with that, you know, in all, in all areas. So if there's men out there who are like, oh, I just don't get women, I don't understand them. If there's one piece of advice that you'd finish with uh, for the men out there who are like struggling to understand the feminine, what would you say? Oh, okay. They have to read the book. <laughs> like I'm not that's, even joking because, <laughs> because in it I talk about understanding the polarity between the masculine and the feminine energy. And I'm not talking just about men and women. I'm talking about we all have masculine and feminine energy. I have masculine and feminine. You have masculine and feminine. But you have to understand how that polarity plays out within yourself. And once you balance the masculine and the, and the feminine within yourself, the yin and the yang, because you can't be all masculine. If you're all masculine, you are not going to attract, you're going to attract someone who is either all feminine or all masculine. You want a, you want a beautiful balance. Like you want a beautiful dance between your own energies within yourself. And then that's going to ripple out into all of your relationships. So when I'm too masculine, that actually repels my husband away from me. And when I'm too feminine, it also repels him away. Like I need to have this nice little seesaw balance of masculine and feminine. I know what I need to do if I am too masculine and what I need to do to rebalance. Or if I'm too feminine, feminine, I know what I need to do to rebalance Mm. and come back to that equilibrium, that place of harmony within myself. 
And then when I'm in harmony, that kind of ripples out into all of the areas, all of my relationships. And this is playing out, this yin and yang, Shiva and Shakti, masculine, feminine, this energy system is playing out in all of our relationships at all times. And this book is a guide on relationships. We're kind of born into this world. We're not given a guide on how to be a, we in a good... No one gave us a user's manual. No one it? gave us a user's manual. It was exactly. lost in transit. Totally. And for most of us, our manual is by watching our parents. And if you won the gene lottery, great. You might have had a really great example. But a lot of people don't have an epic example from their parents and it's not their fault. They're doing the best that they can, like we said before. But I had to get to that point of rock bottom where I was like, hang on, this actually isn't my belief. This is my dad's belief or this isn't how I want my marriage to play out. This is I'm actually copying exactly what my parents did and that's not how I want to create my life. So we've got to really recreate our relationships if you want to experience deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex, which I'm sure everyone listening does. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> totally. Um, it's a really powerful book and I loved writing it. It's very honest, very vulnerable. I had vulnerability hangovers for weeks. I, oh, my God, should I have said that? Totally. Yeah. I was I had full, like, couldn't sleep the week before launch. I, it was like my, my stomach was in knots and I'd roll, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd turn over to my husband. I'm like, did I really tell that story? And he's like, yes, honey. And I'm like, is it too late? And he's like, yes, yes honey. honey, it's too late. It's in print. I have to say great cover. Looks fantastic. Looks like it should be on, uh, on Oprah's book club of the week. Uh, for those people who want to find out more about Melissa Ambrosini, where can they go to find out more? You can head to melissaambrosini.com and I've got my podcast, which is called The Melissa Ambrosini Show and I'm on social media. I love Instagram. Come and introduce yourself to me on Instagram. I love meeting like-minded people. I love connecting with people. It's the best thing. I spend a lot of time behind my laptop or podcasting on my own. You've got the epic setup here where you can actually sit face-to-face. A lot of the guests I interview are overseas, so I can't do that, Um, but I love meeting and connecting with people in person. It's awesome and online. So come and introduce yourself to me there. So kind. You are an absolute shining little radiant ball of light. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being here. Can't wait to have you back. Thank you for having me. Awesome. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.